and we don't even realize what we're listening for. It's subconscious. That's the power of what happens for the people I work with is they begin to discover hidden beliefs they had no idea they had. It's just the results of their life expose the beliefs. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Welcome back to Get Clear with Crystal Ware. Today, we're bringing another awesome guest, Julia Woods, who is the face and therapist behind Hey Julia Woods on Instagram. She is a transformational coach, trainer, and founder of Beautiful Outcome, a coaching company passionate about helping couples communicate in a way that allows them to see and understand each other so they can spend their valuable time enjoying life together. And isn't that what we all want? She and her husband, Jeff, have been married for amazingly 32 years with four children and now two wonderful grandchildren. That is so special. They have invested over 1,500 hours in coaching couples and the many lessons learned in their marriage and in her own marriage. She loves helping couples create a marriage and a legacy worth having and leaving for themselves, their kids, their families, and for their entire life. So I'm so excited to dive into this conversation and just hear all of the wonderful, you know, practical tools and things that we can implement in our life to be better because that is what we're focused on. I mean, that is what my own passion and mission in life is. I really want women to be able to find and have that happiest, most fulfilled life. I, I, you know, it's not without work, but I do believe that we can all find that. And part of that is having joint community with your spouse and happiness. And all of this is relevant and all of this touches all the pieces of our lives. So with that, thank you so much for joining us, Julia. Thank you, Crystal, for having me. I appreciate being here and getting to talk about this that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. So I just wanted to start with how did you get here to being where you are today? What was your kind of work life? Did you start out as a therapist? Did you work in other areas? And then how, you know, what was kind of your traveling of your story with your husband and how you got to focusing on couples specifically. Yes. So I'm actually a coach, which is different than a therapist. And it has been a journey that came out of my own, my own challenges, my own struggles. My husband and I, um, within a year of getting married, we began a photography business together. And well, it was when the in the first two years of our marriage, we started a photography business and had our first child. And so by year 10, we were, we had a lot of defensive conversations. It was pretty hard to get through a conversation without triggering some landmine of unresolved, uh, unresolved conflict. And so, um, I became desperate, like, what I how how do you communicate in a way that you actually can produce results and grow 
because we just uh, the def- number of defensive conversations was increasing and the number of conversations we just decided we couldn't have because they were eggshell conversations and we knew they were going to turn into an argument. So the more we just kept avoiding conversations, the more all we had left to talk about was the weather and what we were doing for dinner and what we were doing with the kids. And I thought there's got to be a better way. And my husband was experiencing depression and I just, I had the dream life. I had everything I was supposed to want. My business was very successful. I was being asked to be the president of our industry at that time, Uh, dream home, everything. But I was miserable and I didn't know why. And so long story short, I began getting a hold of the tools to do the work on myself, to begin to understand myself. I didn't know that I really didn't trust myself or didn't understand myself. And therefore it was very hard to have a trusting relationship with someone else or have a conversation where someone else could understand me. And so I came upon these transformational tools that began to change my life. And I literally said to God one day, I said, I loved my photography business. I thought I would do it for the rest of my life. My husband actually realized he wasn't interested in it anymore and moved on to do something else. And I built the dream business and I thought, okay, great, I've got it. And then um, I said a prayer one day and I said, God, if there's any way you have taken the ashes of my life and created a beautiful outcome. If there's any way I could ever help other people do that in their own lives, in their business, in their marriages, I would love to. And I told my husband about it. And he that day bought the domain name Beautiful Outcome. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) I'm going to retire as a photographer. I love this job. And he's like, there's something special about that name. And within a year, less than a year, I was selling my photography business and uh, started my coaching company. And that's how it all began. So... One of the other things that I talk about a lot is having the courage and being brave and bold enough to make these shifts when you like realize. So when you knew God had a plan for you, how long did you give yourself? Did you did you find yourself overthinking that, clinging to the safety net of your photography business? Or was it pretty clear to you that you needed to like sell, move on? This was your dream. This was your destiny. This was your purpose. Yeah, it happened pretty quickly. I'm pretty, once I get an understanding of what's waiting for me or that something else is calling me, I don't, it, I don't let grass grow under my feet much. Um, I'm ready to go. And so it began a pretty quick journey of discovery because it needed to merge from within me. It needed to be discovered what wanted to happen. And so my husband and I did a project called the dash. And basically you're born this year, you die this year. What's the dash look like in between? And so it became a personal journey of me exploring. Like if I was living fully alive with no stops, being the most authentic version of myself, who, what would that look like as a wife? What would that look like as a mom? What would that look like as a entrepreneur? What would it look like in even my day to day? Where would I live? And so I, uh, my husband and I did it separately. And then we went away for a romantic trip and shared what we had come up with with each other. And it was pretty scary because I didn't know if he was going to say something totally different than I did, you know, but we shared it with each other. And it was a mind blowing, very powerful moment where we were like, wow, 
or being called to something different. I visioned myself in this coaching business. Um, I visioned myself living on the West Coast. And so we came home from that trip. And within a week, I went to my husband and I said, I really feel in my heart, God's telling me to sell the business and sell our home. And he's like, what? That's our livelihood. What are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. All I know is I need to take the first step. And if that first step doesn't go anywhere, we'll know I was just crazy. And if it does, I'll take the next step and we'll keep seeing what happens. And one step after another step led to three weeks later, he got a very unexpected job offer in California he hadn't even applied for. Um, I had my business sold. To, I had the buyer moving into purchasing it within a month and our house sold within 24 hours of putting it on the market. And that's how that all began. And, and I really want to pause there and let people really recognize the gravity of that. Julia, that is like leaning into what God is whispering into you, what it, he's putting on your heart and moving you to do. And when you open yourself up to that and what that means, how quickly other things fall into place. But we have to be brave. We have to trust. We have to, whether if you don't believe in God, it's your intuition. There is always something I believe pushing you into the direction of your destiny. And it can be very scary. And I've, I, I like to pause and talk about that because I know how impacted I've been and how hard it is been for me to follow those steps and take that action. And I know that that impacts other people. So hearing your story and saying how clear it became once you made the decision and then all of the pieces fell into place, but you had to decide and believe and know and trust for those pieces to come. It may have been a longer journey. It may have been more friction, more obstacles. Had you not really been ready to move when the call of action came. Um, so kudos to you. I mean, that is incredible because that wasn't a small deal. It wasn't just selling your business. It was, I'm going to open myself up to moving where I feel we need to be and bam, a job opportunity. So I just, I mean, I honestly, I'm getting choked up. Like that is so powerful. So I love that. And then I mean, did you really just start going right into coaching? How did you approach that? How did you, I mean, it was something so new. How did you go about um, building the business? Yeah, if we can pause just on that one bit, because I don't want it to sound fairy tale. It, I don't want it to sound like it was all just rainbows and unicorns because the truth was it's, a, it's at the heart of what I do in that I believe the most important thing we can develop is the relationship we have with ourselves to really come in to really understanding our shadow and our light and in integrating with the dark side and the light side of who we are. That was the work that took me from waking up miserable every day, not dreading getting out of bed, to being willing to hold a space for a crazy vision and actually follow one step at a time. It was coming in to wholeness with myself, coming in to learning to trust that intuition that I believe is God's voice, God's communication center inside of us, how he communicates to us is through our intuition. And when we're obviously we're here talking about marriage, and yet at the same time, I believe what creates thriving marriages is when two people 
are authentically growing their relationship with themselves, the more we do that, the more we can show up present in a moment. And whether it's a conversation with our spouse, whether it's a risk that we feel we need to take, whether it's some crazy idea or a sense that comes into our heart, the willingness to be present and be with the dark parts of ourself, our fears, our doubts, our insecurities, our worries. These are the things that make us alive. And the more alive we become in our soul, the more alive our life becomes, the more alive our relationship becomes. And I'm passionate about people becoming the fullest, most alive version of themselves. And it's a day-by-day choice. You don't just arrive there. I'm at a season in my life where I'm recognizing I've stepped away from some of the aliveness and am listening more closely to get back or get to the newest version of my aliveness, my most present state of hearing that internal voice and being willing to follow it. And so what are some ways that you develop that and 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 can work on that? Because I think that really is going to resonate with a lot of people in, 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 in the awareness and, and having to look in the mirror and say, am I doing this? Am I listening? Am I able to tune in? How can people really work on that? Well, you know, at the heart of the transformational work that I do comes from the understanding that what we believe produces what we think, which produces what we feel, which produces what we do. And so often we're not happy with what we're doing or what, how we're feeling. I knew that I wasn't happy feeling the dread of waking up every day. I knew that I wasn't happy with the results of my husband dealing with depression and us not being able to communicate. What I didn't understand is that those, those results and the feelings I had about them were gold. But I was abandoning myself. And there's four ways we know if we're abandoning ourselves. The first way is we are ignoring our feelings. Like, you know, I just had become in a state of ketosis (laughs) or not a ketosis, uh, whatever you call it when you're completely zoned out. (laughs) Catatonic, I think. (laughs) Yeah. I was like a machine just getting up, keeping my life so busy I couldn't feel because feeling hurt. Feeling was hard. The second way we abandon ourselves is we judge our emotions. I was constantly judging myself like, you're just a drama queen. You're just a, a whiny complainer. Just shut up and deal with it. The third way we abandon ourselves is we numb our emotions. I had pretty signi- three significant addictions. Most of us have three ways that we numb that are most popular to us, most comfortable to us. Workaholic was the first one. The second one was I ate my emotions. And the third one was I, anytime I was sitting in the car, not idle, I needed to fill the space. So I was on my phone. I was scrolling, I was playing solitaire, I was doing something to keep myself from feeling. And the fourth way, we abandon ourselves. is we blame others for our, what we're feeling. I, my husband, got all the blame. 
He was the reason I wasn't happy. He was the reason I wasn't feeling excited about life. So if you can check in with yourself and you're, you're, you may be earlier in the journey than I was, you may not be that far down the, the road of really abandoning yourself, but those are the four ways, you know, you're not really integrated. You're not really doing, you're not really present with yourself. Well, that, that kind of led into my a question I was scrolling down frantically a, a few minutes ago is um, on the number four that we blame is how, you know, when, when, when you, the, the origin is focusing in on ourselves, getting to know ourselves, going deep within ourselves. But oftentimes when there's this conflict with a spouse or a significant other or, you know, a good friend, family member, whatever, we are so focused on what they're doing to us. And we're not focusing on what are we doing? How are we handling this? Is there something I could do different or better? How do we start shifting that? Because it is, it can be very difficult when you truly are believing like the person is doing something that is triggering me. They are doing something. They are initiating whatever the fault is, um, whether it's rightful or not. So how do you start shifting that where you stop talking about what other people and things being done to you and start focusing on how you are receiving and what kind of being you are? Yes. It's one of the first things that I do when couple, it is the first thing that I do when couples come and start working with me is I need, they need to get in what I call their own backyard. So a marriage, I look at a marriage like a neighborhood, you and your husband are, you and your spouse are neighbors and they have their fenced in backyard and you have your fenced in backyard. In each of your backyard is your attitudes, your thoughts, your feelings, your actions, your attitudes. All of those things are in each of your backyards. And we often stand at the fence with our shovel trying to do work in our spouse's backyard. <laughs> the whole time we're doing that, we have our back turned to our backyard. So behind us is all these weeds and all these uh, varmints and all these things that are getting out of control while we're trying to control something in our spouse's backyard, but we have no control over there at all. So in order to be present with yourself, you must work in your own backyard. And your spouse's backyard may be sending some insects and some, you know, dropping things from their trees in your backyard. Great. You can deal with those things. However, you must deal with them from your backyard and find a way to invite them to work on what they want to work on in their backyard. I mean, that's incredibly powerful. And I think the visual of the backyard makes it easier to understand. Um, it's just difficult in practice. And it's on the top of my mind. And I'll be really real with everybody and transparent um, that my own coach that I've worked with for a long time that I've known actually since I was 11 um, said that to me the other day. It was like, you're just saying a lot of things about other people, Crystal, and you can't control them. You just need to focus on you. And it was a real like awakening a bit and then I've not, you know, it's at my awareness all the time now. Like, okay, I, do, I need to stop focusing on people. And then you, the, the thoughts start coming. And it, even with the awareness, it's a hard train to slow down and then stop 
and refocus. Um, so that's why it really, you know, resonates <laughs> personally resonating with me because it's something that I am working on. Um, and I, and I've realized that it can be a little difficult, um, to just stop. But once you just stop saying the things, letting the thoughts in, you know, it starts with the, 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 the action. Like once you start saying it out loud, you did this, they're doing this, whatever, then you can start working on the thoughts. And once you stop the thoughts, you know, it's a lot easier to just think about you. How am I handling the situation? Um, and also as a mom of three young kids, um, I can tell you there's never a wrong time to start doing this work uh, because w- having kids is definitely a mirror for you back to see what you're doing wrong and right. And then a real big highlighter for whatever you and your spouse are doing. Um, and, Cause that's what I, you know, my husband and I have seen also is that like, Oh, you know, we see behavior that we don't like, and then we're like, Oh, well maybe we're doing a little bit of that. Maybe we need to shift gears. Um, and, and it really puts it back on you and and it starts with you. It started. It, it starts and ends with you. So I just think this is so so awesome and appropriate. And again, um, it's just going to lead to so much awareness. I think for people. Um, and I feel like you're going to probably have a hundred yeah, calls like out. Because this is so good. <laughs> so good. Well, the the beautiful thing is, that, you know, it's default in our human DNA. The moment something isn't going the way we want it to go, we look for someone or something to blame. It's default. We're not going to get rid of that. The beautiful thing is that if we can get aware of our machinery and how it works, we actually can find the gold in that default setting. Because the beauty of what I do is transformational coaching comes from the understanding that what we believe produces what we think, which produces what we feel, which produces what we do. So we often look at what we don't like. You know, I'm blaming my spouse. I don't like that action. So I'm just going to try and stop blaming my spouse. But what that creates is what's called behavior modification. We do it for a while. And then two, three weeks, a month later, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. Because it's default. We're going to keep doing it. But the beauty of what that is revealing is that there's some beliefs I have about myself, about my spouse, about how life goes for me, that if I'll do the deeper work to discover what are the beliefs that are driving the thoughts that are driving the feelings, that are driving the action to blame, I actually will get to the gold and begin to rewrite a belief I didn't even know was there. So for example, one of the biggest things that I blamed my husband for was not caring. I really believed that if he would care more, then I would feel loved. But the more I did this work, the more I began to discover how much I was blaming him, I backed it all the way up to a core belief I didn't know I had in that people don't care about me. I'm not lovable. And the more I have recognized that what is more true is that I don't care about myself. And it's up to me to start caring for myself owning what I need and making requests. And the more I change that belief, I don't blame my husband. I I can't think of the last time I blamed him for not caring. 
I now know when I'm starting to, in my mind, feel like he's the reason I don't feel cared for, I immediately know how am I not caring for myself? How have I not been honest about what I need and made a request? Yep. I mean, it's so, it goes all the way. And and if I analogize that to, um, you know, working out, we have to work that muscle for it to grow and change and shift. If we want to look different, we have to act different. We have to train differently and we have to believe it's possible. Um, and, and, you know, I think about that a lot when I see people, because again, I believe that everybody can be happy. I believe that everybody can reach whatever their dreams are. And when I see people that, you know, I, I work on coaching or mentoring or talking to that keep coming back to, well, my life just doesn't add up that way. My life has been this way. And it's just negative upon negative upon negative. It's very clear that no matter what comes, what opportunities, what are presented in front of you, because you believe that your life is terrible, it's going to be terrible. And your actions are going to lead you in a direction that ends you and put you in situations that aren't going to make it any better. Um, but gosh, sometimes it's just, when that is so deeply embedded, it's very hard for people to hear the positive message. Um, and unless you know they want to do the work, you can't make them, you can't make them think and feel differently about it. And that's hard. Yeah. That's As hard. humans, we listen for what we believe. So whatever I believe is what I'm listening for. If I believe life doesn't go well for me in every scenario, that's what I'm listening for to make myself right. That life doesn't go well for me. If I'm in that same conversation and I believe that life goes well, when I show up, I'll be in the same exact conversation and I'll hear the power of what's possible and how life wants to happen for me if I'm willing to show up in it. Same exact conversation, two different experiences because each person's listening for something different. And we don't even realize what we're listening for. It's subconscious. That's the power of what happens for the people I work with is they begin to discover hidden beliefs they had no idea they had. It's just the results of their life expose the beliefs if they're willing and to learn how to hear the beliefs that are under or driving the actions that they're doing or the feelings they're feeling. So I'm going to throw a question at you that maybe you haven't had before. And I don't know that there is a real answer or, or a right answer, but I'm really curious just your thoughts or your hypothesis on this. Um, you have kids. I have kids. You've worked with a lot of people. You've been around a lot of people. You've coached so many people. When you see siblings raised with the same parents, same household, how do you think it happens that they end up with some vastly different beliefs? Because you see that sometimes where you have a really successful um, child and a really unsuccessful, maybe having real problems in their life, drug problems, other issues. Um, but everything else was essentially the same. How did they get to such a different place in their core beliefs that led them to different lives? Yeah, it's powerful. And, you know, I, one of the things I, one of my 
greatest passions is curiosity. So I don't often look for answers in life. I look for possibilities. And one of the biggest possibilities I've discovered in that is that scientists have discovered that most 90% of our core beliefs are developed between conception and two years old. So even though two children are raised in the same home, they will have had different experiences in vitro. They will have had different experiences in the birthing process. They will have different experiences in their home welcoming and in those first two years of life. So what happens between conception and two years old is we have felt experiences. Like if I'm the second child and my maybe I'm really close to when the first child was just born, maybe my parents are extremely stressed out because they're not ready for a second child. Or if I'm the first child and they weren't ready for the first child or they lost their job at the time they right before they found out or there was a lot of medical complications, all kinds of variances happen within you know, in vitro and birthing processes and all those kind of things. And so you walk through as a baby and you feel these things. You feel your mother's stress. You feel the tension that happens between your parents. You feel the, um, you know, jealousy from siblings. You feel all these things and you begin to develop your core beliefs from those feelings. And then once you get to three years old, your your psychology shifts and your brain begins to make you right about what you felt was true. So by the time you are 20, you don't know these are beliefs. You think they're fact because you've spent 18 years listening in every scenario to make yourself right about what you believed was true. And now you think the whole world thinks the same exact thing you do. You think the whole world thinks that life just doesn't go well for you. So when I hear that, um, that makes sense. When, from a mother's perspective, you often, no matter the, you can be the best mom in the world. I think every mom has mom guilt in some ways or another. You know, if you see that, I mean, how can a mom not take some hurt or anguish in seeing a child that, maybe she does recognize she wasn't in the best place um, early on. And, and how do you not feel fault for that? Well, if you choose to feel fault, you're back to abandoning yourself because you're blaming something for what you're feeling, right? So the guilt and the shame, if you were to feel guilt and shame in that moment, which I do, I have had that experience. So I resonate. What I was doing was abandoning myself rather than taking responsibility. Now, in a responsibility mindset, there's no one to blame. There just is what it is. The beauty of these things that happen that we wish wouldn't happen is we can either use them as, you know, a victim mindset, like, oh my gosh, this terrible thing happened. I'm a terrible mother. My child is now set up for failure. Or we can choose a responsibility mindset that says this is happening for both of us. The beauty of what I've been able to teach my children in how to locate their beliefs and how to really consider what's driving them to do what they're doing and is that belief true or is something else more true? My children are transforming core beliefs at, at a young age 
started at a young age because they started learning how to do journaling work. They started learning how to discover themselves. And so I'm building this beautiful legacy where my children get to learn the things I didn't know much earlier. And then they're setting up a different experience for their children. And that's the beauty of who we get to be. We get to create a legacy worth having in our humanness with a shadow and a light learning and growing in each opportunity and calling each other up into what's possible. So if if you see some signs in a child that, you know, maybe they have some negative thoughts or a view of themselves that may not be accurate from what you feel and see or what maybe the populace of everybody around you feels and sees, what age and what are some just quick kind of tips that you have that a mom could start working on shifting those beliefs, you know, and what time, what age is appropriate? I think it starts from the very beginning. I think when they're young, you're continually reminding them of who they are and the gift that they are in the world. When they start experiencing jealousy, when you watch them start pushing their siblings away or being afraid of something being taken from them, you're inviting them into truth. Hey, honey, these are yours. Can you communicate what you want in this moment? Then as they get into the toddler stage and they're starting to feel their emotions, you're inviting them into accepting and acknowledging and appreciating their emotions rather than pushing their emotions away and starting to abandon themselves. You're inviting them to integrate with themselves and begin to discover what these emotions are, what they mean. And then as they move into being able to really communicate, you're inviting them to think about what they're feeling. What are, what is it that they're feeling? What are the emo or what are the thoughts that they're thinking that's producing that feeling. And then you're helping them learn to question that thought, question that belief. Is it true that, you know, um, your sibling doesn't like you? Is it true that you're difficult, whatever is coming up, you know, at the different ages they are, you're inviting them to try on some other beliefs and wrestle in their own mind with what it is that they're believing and helping them see the power of what happens when they choose to change a belief. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I I think that you can't work on that too early, really. And, uh, you know, again, I'm living in that. So it's always, you know, I am a growth oriented person. So it, you know, it naturally comes and I'm always thinking about what I can do better as a mom and how you, you know, you want to shepherd your little people into, um, being better, knowing more growing and having more tools than you yourself had. And, um, so I'm always thinking about that, you know, for my kids. Um, and one that I hear a lot, uh, from one of my kids is that, you know, when they have a struggle or they get in, trouble for something. I'm just a bad kid. And so, you know, working on shifting that, that you're not a bad kid. Maybe you made a bad decision. Maybe you overreacted. How can we, you know, make sure that once you're cooled off, you know, you're a wonderful person. You're a smart boy. You, you know, all these things. Um, and so again, it's, 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 you know, I think other people listening will have the same experience and be thinking about how, 
you can work on those things and just be more conscious of it. And the powerful thing is they, the more you can draw them into their own discovery, like, is it true that you're a bad kid? Do you remember the other day when you did this? Is that a bad kid? Do you remember when this, I wasn't feeling well and you did this? Is that a bad kid? And they begin to do the neural pathway work in their own brain to realize that they're two, that those two things are at war with each other. How can you be a bad kid and you did this? What could be more true than you're a bad kid? And the more they can, because it's, it's our neural pathway work. That's what happens between conception and two years old is that our neural pathways are being developed. So someone else can give us what's more true, but that's not going to do much. That's not going to do much to change anything. The person is the one that must actually rewire some thinking in their brain and develop a new pathway that the next moment they do something that isn't bad, that neural pathway has been built and it's much easier for them to follow that in their own mind. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not a bad kid. I can make choices that hurt people. And what do I want to do in this moment? And, you know, often we teach children. I didn't know any of these things when my children were young. And I was actually teaching my children to abandon themselves the same way I abandoned myself. I'd send that you go to your room. And when you can have a better attitude, you can come out. I'm teaching them, go in there, figure out a way and come back out because you're not acceptable if you're in a bad mood. Rather than, hey, let's talk about what you're feeling. What's bringing this sadness that I see on your face? What's bringing you to want to be not kind to your siblings? And that's that work doesn't, you can't ever start that work too early. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Do you think that there is, um, you know, I think a lot of people in my experience as they get older, and I've, I've worked in corporate America with all ages, you know, backgrounds of people. And what I've seen a lot is that kind of people, I wouldn't say give up on themselves, but, you know, they don't really see that things can change, that they can still achieve, that they can learn new things after a certain age. Then I've also worked with um, some folks that were working still in their 70s that were, I can do anything, you know, it was totally about the mindset, right? But do you see that people, even in their 50s, 60s, and 70s, can make these changes and still finish out the rest of their life in a, in a better way than maybe they had been living? So Mark Twain said it best when he said, most men die at 27. We just bury them at 72. So what happens is life happens. We get bitter. We get, we get offended. We get hurt. We choose to carry the bitterness. We choose to carry the resentment. It turns into contempt. It turns into disgust. It turns into life is against me. Life is hopeless. I'm hopeless. And the more we buy into that belief, the more life keeps lining up to reaffirm that for us. I have watched people, including myself, I was, I would have told you I was pretty dead. The reason I knew I needed help was I was at a funeral of a person I really cared about and I couldn't cry. That's when I knew something was desperately wrong. I had turned myself into a machine. And so I, I work with people often who are at that crossroads. They recognize, whoa, I'm dying inside. I 
have worked so hard to not feel the pain of my past that I can no longer feel the aliveness of this moment. And so I know you can come back to life. I know that you can create a totally different life that is fully alive from my own experiences. And in the work that I do with other people, I watch it on a regular basis. And what it is, is the mindset work. It's beginning to discover what you're believing, changing, rewriting those beliefs, and consistently being present with what stories you're telling yourself and what you're creating in your life through the stories you're telling yourself. So when it comes to, you know, couples, what do you see kind of shifting gears a little bit, but in that same vein, what do you see is really challenging for couples that have, you know, stressful, demanding, high level, you know, jobs that impact them personally that then they bring into the relationship? Are there any kind of consistencies that you see with like, you know, type A couples? I don't know if I'd call them type A couples. I would call them couples um, because I think all couples have a similar journey. It's everything we've been talking about. Most people have been taught to abandon themselves from a young age. And so they're going through life not recognizing that they're setting themselves up to keep making themselves right. So I've mentioned that we all have a shadow and we all have a light. Another way I refer to it is a villain and a hero. When we fall in love, when we meet the person we want to marry, both our hero and our villain falls in love with the other person's hero and villain. The villain in us falls in love with the one we marry because we see that within that person, we have the ability to keep making ourselves right. The the limiting beliefs, the things that help us play small in life, the things that help us affirm that life doesn't go well for us, we're not lovable, uh, other people don't really like us, our villain recognizes in the other person, we can keep setting things up to make ourselves right. Now, our heroes fall in love with the hero in the other person because what we see, what our hero sees is, wow, that person sees life so different than me. I have the ability in with in life with them to begin to rewrite my past, to begin to heal from the things that are keeping me limited in my life. And so in marriage, our hero and villain are constantly at war in every conversation. We are working to make each other right about our limiting beliefs while we're also working to call each other up. And you can watch your conversations. You have conversations as a couple that are life-giving and you're like, wow, I see life different because of that conversation. And you have those conversations that you walk away and you say, I'm, I knew it. I knew that I don't deserve love. I knew it that I can't trust the other person. I knew it that, you know, women are controlling. That is how you know whether your hero was leading in that conversation or your villain was leading in that conversation. And over time, the more your villain leads the conversations, the more bitterness, the more resentful, the more disconnected you become. Wow. And so are there any kind of crucial crucial conversations do you think couples should have or maybe that they miss sometimes when they're dating to 
to really dig in and understand, are we a good long-term match? Are we going to be heroes for each other? Or are we going to be living out in a villainous way? But I think, I really do believe that two strangers can fall in love and get married. I don't think there's a right match. I think you need to look at what you're drawing out in each other. If you're dating and more of your conversations are villain-led, you're probably going to have a lot of conflict until you each choose to learn to get present with yourself and begin to control your villain more than it controls you. And I think the consistent conversations that couples need to have, one of the most important conversations every couple needs to have consistently is how are we really? I talk with couple after couple in heartbreaking situations out of nowhere. My spouse decided we're not in love and they want a divorce. Out of nowhere, an affair is happening. Out of nowhere, someone is shut down and we're just roommates living together. It feels as though it's out of nowhere. But what happens is it's like a a, a marriage is like this fragile um, structure. And you lay one strike of bitterness across the fragile structure. And you lay the next strike of bitterness across the fragile structure and the next and the next and the next. And all of a sudden, boom, the structure falls apart. And I decide to reach out on Facebook to that ex, uh, you know, that ex relationship, or I decide to start going out to coffee with this person because they at least care about what I'm thinking. Or all of a sudden I wake up one day and say, I don't love my spouse anymore. What's happened is you've turned a blind eye to the unresolved conflict. You've turned a blind eye to the pain and the suffering that you're each feeling. And to be able to consistently look each other in the eyes and say, how are we really? What is between us? What is the bitterness? What is the resentment that we haven't addressed? What is the conflict we haven't found a way to resolve? What do we need to close the gap between us and begin get back or to the new level of deep connection that's available for us now so we can literally partner in life, seeing and knowing each other in a way that we deeply can feel and find comfort and confidence in? And so if in, if in having that conversation, one of the partners says, you know, I, I want to be honest, but when I'm honest, you don't listen. You deflect. Do you think they need to keep going? Or I mean, where do you go from there? How can people get over that, you know, if if they can't afford to work with somebody um, and and find value in building that? We live in a world where there is so much available at our fingertips that money is really no excuse whatsoever. And I believe that when you really want something, you will find a way. The people who often say, I don't have the money are the same people that go to Starbucks every day. Or, and there's no judgment because I would have said the same thing years ago. Um, but we find a way to get what we really want. And so... The opportunity, what I invite every couple 
especially in your dating season and when you say your vows to one another. And if you haven't done this by that time, do it now where you make a covenant with each other that life is busy, life is hard, and we're going to miss each other and we're not going to see each other. And we're going to ask each other this question on a consistent basis. And if at any moment one of us believes we're not okay, I'm not okay, we will choose to partner together in facing that and finding resolution. Because often that's the beauty of marriage is we have so many blind spots as human beings. And the gift of marriage is you're walking with someone who sees you and your day-to-day interactions in a way no one else sees you. They see you more than you likely even see yourself. And so when one partner says, we're not okay, or I'm not okay, chances are they're seeing something you're blinded to. And will you love and respect yourself, them, and the relationship enough to trust what they're saying, even if you can't see it? I think that people, you know, that's, that's powerful. I just wrote that down, everybody, because, you know, I want to take that to my husband and say, you know, we, we have other ways that we work on stuff like that, but that is such a succinct thing to say and, and, and promise and create a covenant about that we will choose to partner to resolve things instead of having conflict and going our own ways, because it is easy to do that, especially when you're busy, especially when you're the season of having small kids. Um, and just knowing and having that foundation that you have spoken, you, you've taken vows in front of God. People, you know, sometimes forget about that. But so to re-say it out loud to somebody that you're promising to work on it, that may not be evident to the other person, the, the full value and meaning of that. But I think that will resonate and be subconsciously there for people to know um, if you if you speak that to each other. So I wrote that down. I hope everybody else write, wrote it down as well. Um, something else that I keep on my refrigerator um, that I read that I thought was really powerful was, um, especially in this you know social media age that we're living in, is to ignore the rest of the world if you have to, but never ignore your husband, your spouse. Um, and I think that that can be really easy to do and you're busy and you're getting kids to all these activities and doing stuff. You have to slow down and remember and focus and try to feel and understand where they're at. Um, and I also wrote down for you, Julia, how are we really that question? You know, maybe that's your book. Maybe Maybe that's your your book book title. I like that. (laughs) It's it's really good. It's, It's really good. Um, before we have to wrap up, I had a few other questions um, that I'm just looking through that wanted to get, wanted to get to one of the other things I know you talk about it a lot is building trust, building trust with yourself, building trust with your spouse and keeping that trust with each other. How can you rebuild the trust once it's broken? Yeah, it really comes full circle back to the beginning of our conversation because trusting another person, right? If there is infidelity, if there is betrayal, if there is promises being broken, um, it, it, it didn't just happen. It's ultimately because we were turning a blind eye 
and I was abandoning myself. I wasn't trusting myself. I wasn't trusting my feelings. I wasn't trusting my thoughts. Um, I wasn't trusting my ability to have the conversations that I wanted and needed to have. You know, I would use, I would often say to myself, like, it's a waste to have that conversation. I already know what my husband's going to say. So why have it? No, that was a way I was abandoning myself and not trusting my gut that a conversation needed to happen. So trust in a, when a trust in a relationship is broken, the first step is looking at where the trust with yourself has been broken. How do you rebuild trusting yourself and your ability to see what conversations need to be had and navigate those conversations? Even in the face of your spouse refusing to have the conversation, can you trust yourself enough to keep going and find a way to stand for what your gut is telling you needs to be stood for? I love it. I mean, it's just... You know, I think that is heavy for people and hard for people. Um, but again, bringing the awareness and having these conversations and listening to these kind of stories is definitely the starting point for people. Um, one of the final questions I wanted to ask that I think you actually might have touched upon early in the conversation, uh, but what do you see as the number one sign of divorce or potential for divorce? And can couples who may see this in themselves overcome and reestablish? Yes, absolutely. Contempt is the number one sign of divorce. And John Gottman, that is one of his famous lines. And as a marriage coach and as a spouse, I've seen it and 100% believe it. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can discover and um, notice the contempt in yourself. I wouldn't have said I had contempt towards my husband until I began to heal. And these things began to go away. And then I began to do more research and found out I had all the signs of contempt. So when we roll our eyes at our spouse, when we correct what they're saying, when we interrupt them, when we minimize what they're saying, these are all signs of contempt. Contempt is that bitterness and that resentment that's building up and turns into contempt. So it's like the strikes that I was talking about earlier of the bitterness and the resentment keep building on each other. It begins to grow and take on a life form into contempt where I'm literally disgusted or I despise an action or a thought or a feeling that my spouse has. We are in the red zone. The sirens are going off. The alarm is sounding. We are at the end of that moment where boom, it breaks. And so if you're noticing the signs of contempt in your marriage, it doesn't mean you will divorce. It means divorce or being roommates, living together, or a betrayal, significant betrayal happening is heading your way if you don't find a way to begin to heal the bitterness and resentment and find a way to resolve conflict at, in your relationship. That is the future heading towards you when you see those signs of contempt. And you don't have to be resigned to that. That is what I really want people to open up and think about if, if you're having a hard time. And, and this is so impactful, I believe, because 
you know, you said it earlier, you you usually see your, your spouse sees you more than anybody else, more than you probably even see yourself. It, there, there's just no way that that doesn't flow over into the rest of the life, the life that you're living, that the business, the career that you want to have, the success you want to see, it is going to weigh you down and burden you and stifle growth in so many other ways if you're not happy in your relationships and with your partner. And I just hate seeing that when I do think that if people are willing to commit and work towards it, they can find true happiness and satisfaction and maybe discover a, some someone in their spouse that they didn't know because they had created this image of them um, that wasn't actually factual or true or wasn't who they really were. And I just want people to be happy because I, I mean, I love life so much. It doesn't mean that it's rosy. It doesn't mean that I don't have problems. It doesn't mean that I'm happy every single moment. Everything is sunny and, you know, perfect, but I truly do love life. And I want other people to find that. And my, my, my marriage is not perfect. My husband and I have been together for 13 years. We've been married for 11. I think I'm bad at that. He's really good at at the dates and stuff. I'm not, I'm actually the reverse of like stereotype there. He's good at it and always jokes about how I forget. Um, but surely we, you know, it's nobody said that marriage was going to be easy. I mean, God gave you each other to live and build and to compliment each other, but he didn't say this was going to be Romeo. Well, I don't want to, that's a bad analogy because Romeo and Juliet ended sadly. So where am I even going with that? But this is some fantasy fairy tale Cinderella story on TV. Okay. Nobody said that that's what you were getting. You do have to work at it. Um, but I just love people hearing the positivity. And I really love Julia that you share about your own relationship because when people can see and really feel and hear the emotion that you have, when you start talking about your past life and, you know, the difficulties that you experience and they can see that you did the work and you came out the other side. And I think leading by example is the best way for people to believe the possibilities or what are, is true. And that that's why I started the show. It's like, you know, if you want to pivot in your career, if you want to have happiness, if you want to do something different, if you want to, you know, completely change, you know, from being a rocket scientist to being, you know, an actor, I believe you can make those shifts. I believe you can do it. Sometimes you need to see examples of people actually doing those things um, to believe it's possible. And so I just commend you for doing that um, and coming on and sharing with us. Um, I mentioned already that you are at Hey Julia Woods on Instagram. Where else can people find you? And do you have any new projects or any retreats or anything else that you want to share with everybody today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, YouTube is another great place to find me. You'll find me under Hey Julia Woods. Um, you also can go to my website, which is beautifuloutcome.com, and you'll see lots of different ways that you can connect with me. Um, I am super excited. The most favorite thing I do is my retreats called Breakthrough. And I have one coming up in May, which is sold out. And then the next one will be coming up in July. And it is the most powerful two and a half days that a couple can really come together and take time away from life 
and really learn how to break through conflict in a way that they tangibly do it while they're there and they go home knowing how to resolve conflict. They resolved something together at the retreat and now they have the tools and the actual practice to go home and start doing it in every area where tension comes up. So that is available and um, still have a few seats left in the July one. And then I have online courses and lots of other things that you can find on my website. Amazing. Well, you are such a light, honestly, a light and a delight. I thank you for your time today. It has been truly helpful. I think you're able to share things in a way that makes it really easy for people to understand and see what is possible and how you can make these shifts in your life. And then what is on the other side, which is just ease and happiness. It doesn't mean you don't have obstacles, but life will feel more easy when you get settled on these things. Um, so thank you for all the work you're doing. A truly a blessing. You know, God was right and you listened and this was your calling. So I'm giving you a golf clap right now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Crystal, so much. It's just so exciting to be able to share with other people what took me from feeling very dead inside to feeling so alive and creating a life worth having. And so thank you for letting me share that. And with that, I will say and end with what I almost always say, that you are truly made for more. I want you to start living like it today. Whatever you're feeling, whatever is holding you back, you can put it aside. You can grow from there. You can build a path, create your legacy brick by brick by brick by just being open-minded and doing the work. So keep getting clear. And until next time, we will see you soon. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.